0: This is Gil Manser welcoming you to Word by Word Conversations with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCBFM. Today's guests are a pair of Marin County writers with books on decidedly different topics. Bonnie Monty's The Sleeping Lady is a modern, cozy mystery novel set in the shadow of Mount Tamalpais, and Francine Falk Allen's Not a Poster Child is, as she writes, a memoir of life as a handicapped person trying to be a normie. Bonnie Monty grew up in Brooklyn at the height of the baby boom when kids were everywhere and life was idyllic. Being the child of two mystery-loving parents helped shape her lifelong love of the genre. My attorney dad was an avid reader of whodunits and especially loved locked room puzzles, she writes. My schoolteacher mom was a fan of detective series on TV. I've always been drawn to cozy mysteries because all the gore takes place offstage. As someone astutely remarked in a cozy mystery, someone is killed but no one gets hurt. After graduating from Brooklyn College, Bonnie moved to Northern California where she launched her career as an editor and writer working at national magazines, editing home and garden books, serving as the brand voice for a garden retailer, and writing articles on everything from robotic surgery to dog parks. She lives in Marin County with her husband, rescue dog, and a turtle not far from her two grown daughters. Bonnie tells us, when not working or spending time with my family, I hike, garden, and brush up on my French skills, but writing the Sleeping Lady mystery has definitely been the highlight for me. Francine Falk Allen was delivered by Dr. Blackman at Los Angeles Queen of Angels Hospital in 1947, and the same doctor diagnosed polio when Francine was three. Despite her self described gimpy, partially paralyzed leg and severe limp, She started as an art major at San Jose State, earned her BA in managerial accounting from Sonoma State, and ran her own business for 33 years. Always busy, she has traveled the world, sung with various groups, written songs, poems, essays, and her new memoir, Not a Poster Child. In addition, she facilitates a polio survivors group in Marin County and the meetup writing group Just Write Marin County. Francine appeared in the Nobel Prize PBS documentary, The War Against Microbes, As the only representative of a disease now eradicated by a vaccine she loves mystery and historical novels or captivating biography or memoir and movies pool exercise the outdoors hanging out with good friends and her husband richard while quote drinking lots of british tea and a little champagne now and then bonnie and francine i want to welcome you to word by word thank you sleeping lady Tell yes. everybody other their listeners, not everybody knows what that means, because some people think it's in Kauai. Ah,
1: yeah. yeah. I It refers to Mount Amalpais. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of common folklore that that's what the Native Americans called it, although I've since read that that's not true. That it came about sometime during the Victorian era in a in a short story, but um, people I understood
0: that it was a real estate developer's.
1: That <laughs> yeah, could be also, but um, there's been a pub named the Sleeping Lady in Fairfax, and um, a beer called the Sleeping Lady from Marin Brewing Company. So people do know it. it it's commonly known that it refers to Mount Tam, but um, whether the Native Americans called it that or not, because apparently the the thinking was that from the right angle it looks like the outline of a lady reclining
0: yeah you say southern mill valley in your book
1: i've heard that's not true
0: that, that's not where you see it because my wife i met I, her when she was living in mill my
1: valley. daughter told me that southern uh, mill valley yeah. and i and she and i put it in the book so now it's immortalized you actually have to be up on a
0: hill to be able to you know, see but
1: someone that. at work told me it's when you're coming down highway 37 but I don't think Native Americans were driving on Highway 37. So that would be so from, the, sure. from the north view. Yes. No. He's, he said, oh, I've seen it, and it really looks like a lady lying there. Yeah.
0: Well, you know the silhouette as though she's yes. lying down, right? Well, anyway. Anyway. That's what it is.
1: So my, my sleuth um, lives in Fairfax mm-hmm. at the foot of the mountain, and she works in San Anselmo. And she loves Mount Tam. She hikes there, and it, it's kind of pivotal in, in the novel.
0: Now, you're, she has a job because it's important that cozy mystery people always have a job.
1: They do. They often own shops. Uh-huh. And my sleuth does own a shop. She co-owns a shop with a business partner, uh, a shop in San Anselmo on San Anselmo Avenue. And it's kind of a, uh, it's a home and garden decor type of shop. With
0: lots of stuff from France. France, yes. Yeah. They take
1: trips to France. This kind of came about from my stint at... Smith and Hawken when there was still a Smith and Hawkin I think that kind of percolated in my brain so um yeah so she and she's very artsy unlike me so that answers the question no she's not me she um, she does the displays a little bit she's from Brooklyn
0: <laughs> there's
1: no getting away from that right and um, yeah so she she's she decorates the shop and kind of does the displays and um goes to France when she can Mm
0: -hmm. except her uh, partner goes more frequently now
1: yes have you read the book of course oh
0: (laughs) I got (laughs) I got (laughs) it sent to me and I that's what I did for three three hours yeah okay so um we're going to read a little bit from Chapter 5 because it's a wonderful summary.
1: Chapter 5, okay.
0: Of everything that's happened before, what the mentions and introduces the characters, and you get to meet the cops. But that'll be in a little bit. Okay.
1: okay? I'm glad you picked a reading because well, I it, wasn't sure. It's easy. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You know,
0: sometimes you say, there it is, it's all in one, one thing.
1: Chapter 5, okay. So I have
0: the same question because I realize that there are listeners out there who do know, have the slightest idea of what a poster child is?
2: Oh, well, there's a chapter on it in the book. But briefly, during the March of Dimes campaign, which was initiated to help eradicate polio and actually to help vaccinate everyone against it, Mm -hmm. there were posters everywhere you went um, in grocery stores, little placards that sat out near the cash registers, in gas stations, and the encouragement was... um, to give just a dime, and that would be helpful. That would be almost a dollar now. So there would be placards that actually you stuck the dimes into, Mm -hmm. or there would be like a can that you put your change into. And um, there were children... Uh, that were photographed with their crutches and this and that on these placards. And that's where the the term poster child came from. And um, I actually was approached from time to time, and people would say to me, I saw your picture on the March of Dimes poster. And I thought that it was true, and I asked my mother, and she said, no, of course not. You're not on the March of Dimes poster. But what struck me at the tender age of five or six was that uh, people actually weren't looking at our faces. They saw mm-hmm. that we were crippled kids. <clears throat> and I saw that my identity to many people was the crippled kid. Right. So, um, And there are a lot of other reasons why I consider myself... Not to be a poster child.
0: <laughs> well, it's interesting because the cover of your book is a photograph of yourself at about what five? Is it?
2: No, three. Three, okay. Three. And you have three and a half. Actually. Yeah,
0: your right leg in a um, supportive brace. Is that yeah. what they were called? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And of course you have crutches, and you're the whole nine yards. Speak. You probably don't remember this, but uh, we used to have. I remember hearing about in school because in addition to coming in and handing out the little cards where you'd put 10 or 20, you know, dimes in it and then bring it back, um, you, you take them out of your desk each week and put a dime in
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And then they'd show us these uh, black-and-white photographs of all these kids in iron lungs. Mm-hmm. Now, you didn't have to do that.
2: I didn't. There were – I was in a uh, – rehabilitation facility that was considered to be a hospital. It was a hotel that had been transformed into a rehab facility by uh, Henry Kaiser. And um, there were kids that were in iron lungs, but not in the room that I was in. Right. I was in a room with... You want to read from
0: the room that you were in?
2: Oh, yeah. I would like to do that. Yeah. Okay. Okay.
0: You can find it or I have it right here and you can read it. Whichever well, I have,
2: I have an excerpt. In my
0: ward, each child was in a white crib. Is that the one?
2: Um, that isn't where I was planning to start. But, but okay, could... whatever works. Okay, so um, I'll just talk about what Perfect. the room was, and then I'll read okay. another portion from that era. Um, yes, there were between 20 and 40 of us in a room, a great big room that had been a ballroom, I believe, with tall windows, which we weren't allowed to get near. I think they kept them open, so they didn't want us toddling out of them. But most of us couldn't really move around anyway, unless we were slated to have uh, rehabilitation and be taught to walk again. So we were in all these cribs. And it was uh, the same day after day after day after day. And we had particular treatments. We had uh, wet, hot packs, wool blankets that mm-hmm. they would place on us and until they would get so cold and you couldn't move underneath them. Because they were it, heavy. Yeah, yeah, because they were very heavy. And uh, they smelled really strange. Uh, never have become used to the smell of hot wool, hot, wet wool. Um, anyway, uh, this excerpt is uh, from my three-year-old perspective, we were allowed a few of our own toys, all of which were kept in a cloth bag that was tied to each of our beds. These were the only diversions we had, whether they were dolls, coloring books, storybooks, or stuffed animals. I'm sure there were no xylophones or other noisy toys, or there would have been a cacophony. One day, I dropped one of my toys, a little brown rubber dog, on the linoleum floor. My doggie is on the floor, I called out. A nurse came quickly, partly to quiet the situation, and partly because she thought I might have a physical problem. Well, to me it was a problem, for sure. I pointed my index uh, finger at the toy on the floor, and the nurse, who seemed large to me, especially since my mother was so small, bent and picked it up. But instead of giving it to me, she dropped it in a large white canvas bag hanging on the wall across from my bed. No, it's my toy. It's not to throw away, I said. It's mine. I dropped it on the floor. I wanted you to get it for me. It was impossible for me to get out of my high-barred crib, but I thought she misunderstood and needed me to explain this to her. The powerful authority, in her tight, crisp, white uniform and pointy hat, answered, No, you can't have it anymore. Any toys dropped on the floor are put in that bag, and we give them to orphan children. And she walked away. That was that. I was stunned. This was was an alarming disappointment, and it felt unfair. I began to cry. This incident did teach me to never drop my playthings upon the floor. But I have to say I cannot imagine a more pitiful group of little kids, (laughs) though perhaps none of us were orphaned, than a ward full of children suffering from polio. I remember this sometimes when I see a Toys for Tots campaign and hope no mean nurses take the donated toys from some hapless kids. I wonder if unknowing kind people donated the toys we played with. The next time my mother visited me, I asked her who orphan children were and pointed out that my toy was in that bag over there and was going to be given to them. When she explained that these were children with no mommy and daddy, I saw that their situation was quite sad and felt remorse, not only for my error, but for begrudging them my toy. This was my first memorable, ethical, or moral conflict. Was I a bad child? Was I a fortunate child?
0: Aha. Uh-huh. Well, yes. On Sunday we had uh, an opportunity last Sunday to see uh, the Mister Rogers documentary called uh, "Won't You Be My Neighbor?" And I just it was, saw it too. you know, yeah. a fundraiser for KRCB over at the Rialto. And so you just saw it too. And what you've outlined there are two maternal figures, both doing exactly the wrong thing with the cut child. <laughs> right yeah yeah so you know we can learn as we go the um obviously that impacted you to today because when you sat down in the introduction and the introduction of your uh, memoir is fabulous because it really lays out why you're doing what you're doing and the fact that you're doing it before you forget it so uh, which is an important part of a memoir but you're quite detailed in your life you have you know, many, it, it's, it goes on for quite a bit and gets into, you know, the nitty gritties.
2: Yes. Yes. It must,
0: must have been a, an editorial decision on your part.
2: Um, I had a lot more material. Really? And I do have a pretty detailed memory. Now, some of the conversations well, I had to recreate, and they aren't necessarily verbatim, but they're real. They all happened. I didn't include anything in here that was, uh, maybe this happened. Everything in there really happened. Mm -hmm. And uh, for some reason, it's sort of like song lyrics. Things just stick in my head. Conversations Mm -hmm. really stick for me. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had to, uh, my editor had me um, (coughs) get into more detail with conversations. But uh, the descriptions of them were all in there. So we had to take out a lot of things that weren't directly related to disability in order to hone it down into more potent material.
0: What kinds of things would, or did we not see in the book then?
2: Well, there were some things I thought were funny. Like I made a comparison later on in the book uh, between myself and Michael Phelps uh-huh. <laughs> because um, we both have very long arms and, and love to do
0: the butterfly love. stroke. Okay. <laughs> <Both> <laughs> so love there the were pool. things like that yeah. that got yeah. cut. That's funny. So when you were creating your characters, and a lot of your uh, novel is in dialogue.
1: Mm -hmm. A lot, yes.
0: So how did you come up with these? Because you didn't have your own memory to to fall back on.
1: Yeah, I felt like I had to know the characters first, and then the dialogue just came to me. Mm -hmm. And I tend to write more in dialogue. I had to go back and flesh out some scenes, Mm -hmm. because I was picturing them, and I could hear what people were saying but then I realized oh the the reader doesn't know what this looks like you're
0: doing a screenplay yes
1: Yes. I I think that's how I tend to write and uh I I had to kind of force myself now some scenes I I really could picture every detail really well and uh, like the scene at the farm in France Mm -hmm. but mostly I tend to write it in a screenplay format and then I have to expand on that
0: add the uh What you see, and what you're not one of those that has 34 pages of description of the lovely countryside.
1: No. (laughs) I'm not one of those writers. Can you pick
0: up uh, Chapter 5? Yeah, let me me get
1: to Chapter 5.
0: Now, the reason I'm selecting that particular, because it's a little far in the book, but because um, she's explaining what happened to her husband and um, to the policeman. Oh, yeah. You got an overview, you know, and that's a wonderful thing in mysteries. You always have to, you can't, you know, just come to the... Dot dot dot. You have to have a. Oh, by the way, it could be this, right? Or that happened, and so this is what. So should doing.
1: I read just uh well, a few scenes, or and should I read one scene? Or you stop me wherever you. Let me
0: pull it up. Okay, okay. I I think I had you starting at the, the first beginning part of chapter yeah. five. Okay, yeah. but I don't want to okay. go on Give, forever. What we need to know beforehand is the name is the people we're going to meet. We've got okay. Peter.
1: Peter is, Ray, uh, well, Ray is my sleuth. She's the shop owner right. with her partner, Thalia. R-A-E. 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 Right. And her husband is Peter. And uh, I guess it's not really giving away anything to say that Thalia has been murdered.
0: Well, you're going to find that in yes. here, too. And so you need I, to know who Luke is, too.
1: Oh, Luke's in here, too. Okay, Luke he calls is Thali- on the phone. He, Luke is Thalia's half-brother, and he's in town from France. Right. He lives in France. Um, okay, that's enough. Okay. Good.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so what we want to do is get up to when the cops come in the room. Okay. And sorry for your loss and all that.
1: Uh, okay. Let me just...
0: So that's page and a half. Oh, okay, perfect. Not too long.
1: I lay on the couch feeling numb. I had no tears left, just anger and guilt. So strong my chest felt like it would explode. How could I have let Thalia go off alone? Peter sat down and put his arm around me. Why don't you just, why, sorry, why don't you try going to bed? You've been up all night. I'll wake you when the detectives get here. No, I'm okay, I answered unconvincingly. He stroked my hair. You should have called me last night. I can't believe you drove yourself home after what happened. That was the third or fourth time he'd said that, since I'd walked in the door and awakened him to share the news. But I hadn't wanted to call anyone, not even Peter. By the time the police had finished grilling me, all I wanted to do was get in my car and go home. The phone rang. It was Luke, sounding distraught. I'm so sorry you had to be the one to find her, he said. He dismissed my regrets at letting Thalia go to the park alone. Why Why wouldn't she go alone, he asked. She was probably on her way to meet Etienne. So you know about their relationship? I was surprised. Thalia told you? He hesitated. No, I just kind of figured it out. It was rather obvious after seeing them together at the party, and Thalia spent a long time getting ready to go out last night, so I just assumed. I didn't mention the affair to the police, since that has nothing to do with her getting mugged by some stranger. It was not a mugging, I said forcefully. I told Luke about the blackmail notes, Thalia's suspicions of Marcel, and her reason for going to the park. He was disbelieving at first, but came around when I told him I'd actually seen the notes. He urged me to tell the police, which I certainly planned to do. Jasper gave a sharp bark as the doorbell rang, and I ended the call with Luke. Peter answered the door, then came into the living room, accompanied by two men. One tall and blonde with broad shoulders, probably in his mid-thirties. The second man, who was more portly and looked to be in his mid-fifties, introduced himself in a gentle voice. Mrs. Sullivan, I'm I'm Detective Hernandez, and this is my partner, Detective Warren. We're with the San Francisco Police Department. I nodded. I know you discovered the body last night. We need to ask you a few questions. Of course. As Peter and I sat down on the couch, I motioned for them to sit in the two chairs that faced us. Detective Warren took out a notebook and a pen. Thalia Holcomb was your business partner? Detective Hernandez began. Yes, and my friend. I'm very sorry for your loss. I wondered how often he had to say that to the bereaved. He managed to sound sincere. Maybe he really was sorry, I thought. Sorrier than the rest of us, seeing so much death on a daily basis. With a job like that, maybe he was the saddest person in the world.
0: Perfect. Thank you. So, now you know. Have you read her book?
2: Oh, yes, I have. I love her book. It's (laughs) a good read. Uh Fast-paced.
0: And there it is in a nutshell. So we know that Thalia Thalia, um, is having an affair in France.
1: Yes, with ATN, who I didn't explain. No, that, but, we but that's how We figured that figure out. figured that
0: out, right. <laughs> We're not that, you know we, we know. we know from all the cozy mysteries we've read, you know, what's going on here. Yes. So she has to be, according to, I looked this up, by the way. I went to CozyMysteries.com to find out what's the important parts of a cozy mystery. So they tell me the crime solver is always, uh, usually a woman who is an amateur sleuth, usually yes. with a college degree, and skills that she uses in, you know, solving the problem. um Occupations change, but bookshop owner is usually is one of them. So we'll, we'll you know, we'll figure that. Uh, what do we call it? tchotchke shop owner. Yeah, <laughs> that <laughs> sounds good. Um, and that she has quote. It's probably safe to say the local police force doesn't take the amateur sleuth very seriously. Obviously, obviously, yes. right. Um, they're also considered gentle books, so we're going to ask a new thing. No graphic violence, no profanity, no explicit sex. I well, okay. do have a little sex, but, I, it's, not, well, no, but no. it's tasteful. But, just, dare I say, <laughs> yes. Okay. Um, sex, if there is any, is always behind closed doors. It is implied. Two characters may go from having a late night romantic dinner to fast forward one person taking a cup of coffee up to their partner who is enjoying the delicious luxury of sleeping in. Does that sound familiar to? Yes. yes, I have
1: a little more sex than the classic cozy, <laughs> but it's a modern cozy. Wait a minute, cozy. let yeah. me get
0: that quote. You have a little more sex than the classic cozy. Okay, and a little profanity. And too. a
1: little profanity. And one of my reviews on Amazon said, "Now, just beware. There's a there's some language in this book. Not it's not a classic cozy."
0: Yeah, I, we had a. Uh, woman who wrote uh, romance novels. Mm-hmm. And she says that there's clues on the cover, however many pictures, you know, Florida Lees or something like that, tells you how much sex is in them. So if you've really? got five, it's really steamy. <laughs> One in two is, you know, your no. toddler could Chased. read Chased, right? yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't see anything like that on your cover. So no, no clues. I didn't know
1: about the shorthand. It's like the little squiggles on chocolates. Yeah. It tells you what's inside. Right. Yeah.
0: Or the circles on the top of a tin can.
1: What's that? Oh,
0: you don't know if the no. labels come off. You can tell at least it's a, if it's a meat product or a vegetable product or oh, other things no, like that I by the number no of idea. circles. Fruit? Yeah. Okay. No? Okay. <laughs> Apparently they used to sell cans without labels. Oh. Uh-huh. So we now know what's going on. Let me, um, the one thing I had a question about. Why did she go into the city in a white coat? This is Thalia she's supposed to be hiding
1: oh well I didn't I thought about that I just pictured Thalia and what she'd be wearing and uh, but she was so confident she didn't right. worry about
0: things like that well she, she tried to hide behind the buses though
1: right but she well she was gonna go do a confrontation and then she kind of had her um, just serendipitous oh I could sneak back there and, right Sneak up on him. So right. I don't know what she planned. She so how was, did
0: you lay out the plot? Did This oh, idea come my to gosh. you okay. it took I, forever. Yeah. Does it? Yes, yeah.
1: that was not easy. I had post-its and I had outlines and I had. I've heard writers speak about not writing with outlines, and I don't know how they do it. M- mystery writers. Post-it
2: notes. Is what I Yeah, I use yeah. post-it
1: notes, but that they just let the story take them wherever it's going to go. And I can't. I can't do that. So I. Um, I knew who committed the crime why and I knew pretty much the ending but then to get to the middle where this person is is, she's not a detective so she can't just question everyone and she can't she has no forensics she's not at the autopsy she's she has nothing Mm -hmm. so it was not easy (laughs)
0: Right. <laughs> pacing that. Well, and, of course, that's what makes it more real. You yeah. know, all these people who just happen to walk in, you know, or, or Hercule Perot would be sitting around the corner when this important conversation, or happen to see the note that somebody, you know, the bellboy is delivering to <laughs> somebody. Else. Come on. That's too easy.
1: So, yeah, she has to. So I have, and I had written it on, um, first with two points of view. I had the oh. detective's uh, point of view, non-first person, third person. The detectives and Ray's point of view. But mm-hmm. it was a kind of just omniscient narrator, I guess you'd call it. And because the detectives could give the reader the information about who was where and other things they found out. But then um, then I got rid of that and just made it all from Ray. And that's when I put it in first person.
0: Right. Well, the, re- the advantage to that is that the reader um, wants to solve them. The yes, mystery. of course. And so you've got to give the clues along you've the way. You've
1: got to play fair with the right. reader. That's just a Oh, yes, in by the way, the man you've never seen before.
0: Right. <laughs> and yeah. that can
1: happen in a police procedural yes. where you don't know. This person just shows up at the end. The police are tracking down an unknown person. But in a cozy, no. No. It has to be one There's of the rules. characters. Yes. There's are.
0: <laughs> now, Francine, you had uh, an entirely different issue because you have basically a chronological outline already Mm -hmm. set in your mind so was that difficult to to stick to or did you want to jump ahead and back and forth
2: actually originally well originally i didn't set out intending to write a book i just wanted to get down my early memories of having had polio but I thought it would be an essay, and it turned out to be about four chapters just for the early part. And I thought, well, I think I'll just keep going and write a, write a book about what it's like to be disabled. But my perspective at that time was there's so many different issues I could address. I could address career. I could address relationships. I could address social things. And so every chapter was about a different uh, you know, issue, basically. Mm-hmm. And... Um, I thought it worked all right, but the first few people that read it many of them didn't have a problem with that, but a couple of them said that it was confusing to them because I would uh, come back to childhood in a in a later chapter right, talking yeah, right. well yeah flashbacks and flash forwards too so that i could bring my adult perspective to what it was like to be a um, you know a child because a child doesn't necessarily have the vocabulary to describe what they're feeling and thinking they they put it in more simplistic terms and looking back on things later i could see how my mother interacted with me you know from the perspective of a woman not just the perspective of a child mm-hmm. so at some point I realized after uh, talking with a couple of editors that I needed to reorganize it, and I did. I I made a great effort to put it more chronological, so that even though there would be uh, excerpts, uh, sections of different um, chapters where I would be looking forward or back, um, it basically followed, you know, childhood through the events old age, which I consider myself to be now. And um, yes, yes. So it became more chronological. And I did have help moving things around with my editor, too. Mm -hmm. My editor is really brilliant. I really appreciate how she helped me to decide what to leave out because I had plenty of material. Plenty of material. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Another whole book. Right? What's that? Another whole book. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Well, I found it uh, interesting, and let me—we're going to have to take a break right now, but that's just the way things happen around here. Uh, but I did find it interesting and fun to read in in an, an enjoyable fashion. You could write in the sequence of events, but from both a child and adult perspective, and so you did that quite well. Thank you. Yes. Yeah. You are listening to word by word conversations with the writers on North Bay Public Media KRCB FM. Today's guests are a pair of Marin County writers with books on decidedly different topics. Bonnie Monty's The Sleeping Lady is a modern, cozy mystery novel set in the shadow of Mount Tamalpais. And Francine Falk Allen's Not a Poster Child is, as she writes, a memoir of life as a handicapped person trying to be a normie. N-O-R-M-I-E, meaning normal, right?
2: Exactly. Right,
0: okay. So let's get back. We were talking about how you... We're using your chronological approach based on the advice from your editor, and and that helped the book flow mm-hmm. more. Because yes. it certainly does now. So what other challenges did you have writing? I mean, obviously the, the one everyone who does a memoir has, should I include those people who weren't that nice?
2: Yes, <laughs> yes, there was that. And there was also, um, the very first draft was of course rough. Um, we would call them to be nice, crummy first drafts. And uh, <laughs> someone... But you need them. You, need <laughs> you, need you do, yes. yes. So uh, some, the first person who read it is a person who's done about 250 book reviews. She just happens to be a friend. And she cautioned me about my attitude because I was a little more angry in some places snarky yeah yeah and um that i needed to be careful or people would feel blamed so i went back and really cleaned it up as far as that goes you know and i realized that i was just getting my own stuff out when i wrote that but there were people who uh did not serve me well both as a child and as an adult And if they did anything mean, I changed their name, and uh, I didn't necessarily try to completely mask their identity and I I figured that most of these people are never going to read it anyway and if they do they may see themselves and they can do what they like with it you know if it was something really mean and the things that were that happened that I thought were mean as an adult people that I uh, know now I just didn't include them because I knew that no matter what I did they'd know who it was because the story wouldn't be clear unless I quoted them and uh, (laughs) so they'd know and I didn't want to do that so I just just left those things out there was plenty of material
0: (laughs) right well one of the people you included was a real surprise to me was the architect of your new house yes redesign yes and uh to put it in a nutshell you would say to her well I need you know sloping ramps in the backyard and she in her mind obviously pictured you know poured gray concrete with you know metal pipe bars like Mm -hmm. a you know institution. Mm-hmm. And you had, you know, a much more beautiful yes, perspective it's, of it's, how it should it's be. it's
2: lovely, yes.
0: And uh, she'd had a real, real, real hard, hard time coming, up, uh, you know, following those wishes. And I can't believe that an architect in this, you know, this time of ADA compliance wouldn't be already aware of of how to do these kinds of, like a, you know, three foot wide door. For- to
2: make it attractive. Yeah. yeah. Well, the doors weren't a problem, but the the ramping was a problem. She made a, a nasty comment about that, which I'll just leave in the book. Right. Um, and. Uh, we won't mention her name. Uh, I mean. No, we sure won't. I didn't mention it, in, but she, she'll she know. I doubt whether she'll read it either. But, but um My husband came to my defense and wrote her a letter and told her that she needed to uh, watch her attitude or we were going to go someplace else. And... um yeah, it was really surprising. It was hurtful. I couldn't even speak after she said this one, made this one comment. And yeah, it was really surprising. I mean, but I'm uh, part of the reason I included these kinds of things is that I think that uh, disabled people generally come up against this kind of stuff a lot. Mm-hmm. And they don't necessarily talk about it except to their spouses or their kids or whatever. And right. I think it's really common. So I just wanted to sort of make an example of myself
0: right i should share with our listeners that my mother and older brother both contracted polio in the mid-30s and uh, my mother's leg was inch and a half or two inches shorter her right leg and she wore cowboy boots with special high you know heels on them to compensate for that she was also very short like you know your mom and um so she wore her hair up in this braided thing I don't know what your construction on top of <laughs> it, lots of you know um, hairpins to keep it so we could find her in the grocery store <laughs> so so she she was an interesting lady, and she just you know but my dad, after she'd passed, was sitting and talking with me, and he was started crying, and how he says, "I remember how she used to be before the polio. she was so beautiful, oh. and she was a dancer and singer oh on the my stage gosh. and yeah, it really changed. So her.
2: she had it when she was older. Though. She had
0: it when she was a mother. She was so oh. this would have been when my brother was three. So they'd been married four years. So, yeah, she was in mid twenties. Mm-hmm. Yeah, apparently they caught it on the train coming across the country. You know, one of the old old Pullman car kind of things. And mm-hmm. um, that was the other thing about the posters, as I remember. You know, don't share drinking glasses. You were going to get tuberculosis or you know, what they call it, uh, infantile paralysis, which mm-hmm. is polio. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and uh, all kinds of horrible diseases if you, you know, used one of those ladles from a, oh, a well.
2: uh-huh.
0: Yeah, different time. Although, not bad advice now, but we don't need plastic cups to throw away. Yeah. Fill up things. Or plastic straws for that matter. <laughs> <laughs> so, did you have things in your book that you had to take out because... You thought about thought better about it
1: uh, this no, is Bonnie I'm talking. I uh, as I said I took out the whole interaction between the detectives right. from their point of view because uh, someone who read it who I trust said you should have Ray just drive the action Get rid of this second point of view. But I do love my detectives. Mm -hmm. I wanna bring them back in another book. Well,
0: isn't that the whole Um, the other thing in in Cozy Mysteries you have to have a series?
1: Yes. (laughs) As and as I've said at my book launch and yeah, is that you have this amateur sleuth who owns a shop or keeps bees or something, and keeps finding bodies everywhere. But no one seems to have a problem with that. Readers love that.
0: Have you ever seen Midsummer Murders on TV? Talk about, that's supposed to be the deadliest county in England. How is there anyone left? That's right. They walk into the town and say, boom, "Hmm," and one guy's dead, and then two and three and four and five. Oh, gosh, it's
1: awful. They're all just yeah. yeah
0: and picked off. Agatha Christie was the same way. You know, who would show learners. up or, or Miss Marple and Oh my, let's bury some things in the garden and put little, you know, shells on top of it. <laughs> Oh gosh. Yeah. Oh well, we love it, don't we? We really do. So So, so that you was had, pretty much the only thing. You I had I took feedback out? from your readers already?
1: People really like the book. There's they think it's entertaining. It's a quick read. I hear that a lot. Yeah, um, it is. It moves right along. It, and, uh, I've already gotten a few corrections. I had something wrong with the military time. Oh. I translated that wrong. Yeah, and uh, two people have told me that so far. And I guess the, the proofreader didn't catch that. Americans oh, well. don't. We're Americans. We don't know. She's American. The proofreader, so not her fault.
0: The first uh, um, 007 James Bond book came out, and Ian Fleming got somebody coming back who told him that that the breaded did not come in that caliber. Ah, okay. To which he wrote back, well, the one I had was. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, they'll they'll look for little, you know, nitpicky kinds of things. But
1: I've gotten good feedback, yeah. People are having fun with it.
0: Do they enjoy the main character?
1: Yes, people have. Do they
0: hate uh, her partner like they're supposed to?
1: Oh, Thalia. um, Well, I remember when I was in a writing group and I was just, kind of starting with the book someone told me they hated both of them Ray and Thalia but Ray has gotten more likable as I've since revised since that original yes. version uh-huh. yes she was very mousy at the beginning mousy she was yeah But you know it's it well, really, not no, Brooklyn not no not good no. no it's not Brooklyn <laughs> <laughs> and it's not what you want in your sleuth you want right. dynamic take charge
0: well not pushy because no no, no. no. that's not a, that's no. not good are a
1: lot of constraints <laughs> Perfect. She's perfect. perfect. She's
0: perfect. <laughs> Knitting all the way, right? Yeah. No. But um I forgot what Do I any people say. really pay forty eight dollars for one candle?
1: I've seen them. Those uh those fig candles. Fig candles? Fig scented candles. I there's a
0: Does it smell like a ripe fig?
1: I, I think there's that French brand, diptych. Are they French? I don't know. I've seen candles in Corte Madera that are like forty eight dollars or even sixty dollars. Yeah. They better last a long time,
0: years. Right. Well, the reality <laughs> is, is of course these neither the, none of the people in here need to work because so, they all have money everywhere and yeah. running in and out of the city at the drop of a hat and you know in their Bentleys and who knows what. Yeah, right.
1: I live in San Rafael. It's not that way. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm talking about your your. Book. Yes, <laughs> yes, but, but, yes but those because people. a lot of people, people have that people. <laughs> impression of Marin. And yeah, I keep that
0: saying, was uh, I live in San Rafael. Uh, the Marin hot tubs. You remember that was our. Oh yeah, and peacock uh, President feathers. President Bush and peacock yeah. feathers. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, we had peacock feathers when we lived there. So. <laughs> um, but we picked them up off the ground down in Southern California. We went and visited a, people who lived with wild peacocks. Oh, around I neighbor In the middle of the they're night. Loud. Oh, they're loud. They're awful. Very loud. Yeah, anyway. So, what about feedback on Poster Child? Have you...
2: Well, I have some advanced reviews. It doesn't come out until August 7th. So, okay. So, most people have not read it yet, but... Um, I got a couple of surprising reviews. I mean, I really wasn't prepared for getting a Kirkus star, which is mm-hmm. only given to 10% of the books they review. And did I, you put I'd, that on the back? Uh, it's going to be on the actual uh, on, the, uh, on the across front. the top cool. of the yeah. cover. And they said it was bold, charming, and inspirational. And then and clarion. S-
0: and someone said it was amusing too.
2: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I think Ed Gray uh, – a few people have said that it was it was amusing and, and uh, entertaining and funny, which you might not think a disability would be. But there are a lot of oddball things that happen, which can be funny. And then uh, Clarion uh, said it was unputdownable. <laughs> unputdownable. <laughs> and they gave me five out of five. Well, so, you know, I'm not used to tooting my own horn. Yeah, I but started at about, about
0: 11 – and put it down about about one thirty for the first street, but I hadn't made it all the way through. It's not a short book. It's got three hundred some odd pages, yeah, but there are photos sure. throughout, which isn't. I thought was, it. I'm mean, the word I was going to use first was charming, but I think it was more than that, because it allowed you to see and remind me, of what the fifties and the sixties were like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and we forget. You know. Uh, there's not much from that era on television now, for instance, to remind the younger generation. It'll be, be, we'll have to talk later and see uh, how this is, what group is reading your book? Are they, you know, categorized somehow? Because I've seen predictions of how it will, you know, be, you know, some so-and-so group or this and such group or that and such age will love it.
2: Well, I'm guessing, first of all, the demographic of, People who buy books is older women for the most part. Mm-hmm. and But I've had older guys who have read it that really like it. So um, I think that people who have any recollection of that time frame of the mm-hmm. 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s will enjoy it from that perspective but I think also younger people who have parents who are starting to face disabilities will also appreciate it because everybody tends to have almost everybody tends to have some kind of physical problem as they age Right. and it, it, I feel that it's a book that helps you to understand what that's like it's not just a historical perspective.
0: Yeah as I told you my brother had polio when he was three and he mm-hmm. then got the post polio syndrome in his seventies And um, eventually was part of the problem why he stopped, couldn't breathe anymore when
2: he Mm,
0: passed on. But uh, it comes and, and hits you both where you had previously been you know affected and other parts muscle groups that you were not yes, affected yes yes yeah.
2: it's my my uh, manifestation of it is generally fatigue more than anything mm-hmm, else mm-hmm. and there is some pain but the fatigue is the most you know confrontational because you can't do as much as you used to right. and polio people tend to be type a overcompensating we were partly encouraged to try to be the same as everybody else only and more so. Do as much. You had to do more. <laughs> that was another reason I chose not a poster child because um, these posters always pictured cute young kids who were bravely and happily doing things that other people were doing. Mm-hmm. And, uh, A lot of polio kids were told, well, you can do it. You just have to try harder than everyone else. And um, there are other reasons, you know, uh, that parents would encourage that. I know my mother was concerned that I might not work or that I might not get married because of it. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, really wanted me to go to college so that I wouldn't live with her the rest of my life. It Uh became apparent to me that that was part of what her motivation was. She was afraid I wouldn't move out.
0: Well, one of the interesting things, the side thing, as a parent, is you read, you know, what your parents did to, I guess, confront the issue, like, you know, getting the other apartment close to the hospital and yes. stuff like that. Yes, So, and um, that's something that most of us don't think about unless, you know, the time comes up where, you know, all of a sudden we need to be an expert about some particular, you know, disease or, mm-hmm. or disability. And mm-hmm. um, then we know way more than we thought we'd ever need to know, mm-hmm. right? hmm your characters are—would you call them Marinites? Uh, well, is that fair?
1: Failure definitely is. Okay. And um, Peter probably is Ray's husband because he's—he's a little—he's a little entitled, a little <laughs> full of himself. Um, I don't think Ray is. I think she loves. Marin for the natural beauty. Mm -hmm. She grew up in Brooklyn. She always wanted a a garden. And um, she grew up in an apartment, as did I. Mm -hmm. And um, she... Well, I I find there are two kinds of Marinites. There are the people who just love it for the natural beauty. They they hike and they want to live somewhere unspoiled and undeveloped. And then there's what many people think of as Marinites, of snooty, privileged... Drive Isler, too fast. Drive too. Yes. <laughs> drive their BMWs. Always fast. BMWs it's a, or Mercedes.
0: Yeah, yes. You've yeah. um, noticed Audis have been appearing too. Yeah. <laughs> oh, oh. That one section where you know the speed limit is seventy and nobody knows it. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about. Yes. Yeah. yes right. Yes. So, so
1: yeah. So I think I think a lot of them are Marinites, but um, Ray is just herself. She's her own person.
0: It's interesting when I was reading the book and and people were going, you know, this is uh, right around the murder. Mm -hmm. And they're running back and forth to San Francisco or they're running over here to there or running to there. And I'm saying, wait a minute, how long would that take from, you know, San Anselmo? What, What exactly how much timeline are we, you know, I'm thinking it out ahead. And then I read your book. And you're, you're bopping down to San Jose to go to the, the therapy session and then up to San Francisco to use a pool and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, when you were living down in mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. area, So I guess we just do that. And, you, you know, yes. Yeah, yes. we're so on the highway too much. A
2: friend of mine once said, um, uh, what we do in the Bay Area is drive around the Bay and talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right.
0: Yeah, well. And I, I did it too. I did it in LA much more than I do up mm-hmm. here. Mm. Yeah. Because LA is a very big county. Yeah. It certainly is. Yeah. What part of Marin County inspires you the most?
1: I love Fairfax. I do adore the neighborhood I'm in in San Rafael because I love my neighbors.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And it's a very close knit community. But I think if I had unlimited choices and uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have to do a commute into san francisco which i don't i would live in fairfax i just like the the feeling there
0: um yeah that the small me. town and feel? west marin is west marin. of course gorgeous well see you were talking about the two rural. Marin's, and that's, that's west marin is definitely me. a the yeah. Yeah, back to nature kind of yeah. yeah don't don't bother me i'll take the sign down from the forest yeah city i mean i'd love business, to have yeah.
1: chickens and i could have chickens where i am now except my dog would eat them that
0: but. probably not be good no.
1: no but um i'd say fairfax is a nice compromise it's a, almost west marin it's mm-hmm. the last town before you get into west marin but it's
2: it's cosmopolitan enough
0: right so do you consider yourself a marinite or a Forest Villian or, a, or a,
2: <laughs> oh i consider myself a Marinite. yuba city um you know i i couldn't wait to get out of yuba city i
0: um i i Tell people where Yuba City is, because most do not know. <laughs> it's
2: north of Sacramento. It's about 45 or 50 miles north of Sacramento, depending on whether you're at the outskirts or inward. And um, I lived there until I was 18. I uh, I focused myself in high school on uh, getting a college scholarship so that I could get out of town. That was mm-hmm. my intention. Mm-hmm. And... Um, it's a nice place to grow up because everybody knows everybody, and when I was there, this isn't true anymore, but no one locked their doors, so that was, you know, that was nice. But Now
0: they're trying to keep the bears out. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but um, I moved to Marin County, uh, well, I moved to Sonoma County first. I lived in Sonoma County for, I don't know... 10 or 15 years and I moved to Marin because I was taking voice lessons in Oakland and I was involved in uh, spiritual group meditation and singing in San Rafael so I moved to San Rafael so I could be close to those mm-hmm. two things and um, I like it for the people I like I like that there's a diverse group i mean it may not seem as diverse as it could be it's not as diverse as the east bay but it's tolerant you know we we i mean there are a lot of liberals we certainly vote on the blue side of things and there's a certain comfort in that for me mm-hmm. that i don't run into people that are highly prejudiced and there's music and a little bit of good food, not as good as it could be. <laughs> San Francisco is better for that. But I have a lot of good friends in Marin. Mm-hmm. So I like that. I like I like it for the depth of friendship and for the beauty. I needed to live someplace that was level, and it took us two years to find a home in Marin County that didn't have One a I noticed you're not in involved. Mill Valley. No, <laughs> no, we're not. We're not. And not in the hills of Fairfax either. I had lived out there. So, but I needed a pool for exercise, so it took a long time to find a place like that. But mm-hmm. I love our neighborhood. Our neighbors are wonderful. We have Iranians and lesbians and just everybody, you know, on our street.
0: Cool. And you live in San Rafael?
1: Yes, it's actually unincorporated. So, ah, it, the, the address county. is San Rafael, yeah. but I'm in the county. <laughs> I live right near the Civic Center. Oh, yeah. And, uh, I, I love my neighbor. I have great neighbors. In fact, I'm going to a neighbor's house tonight, and then we're going to walk over and watch fireworks at cool. the county That'd fair. That'd be cool,
0: yeah. And, um, you don't even have to, just sit in the backyard. Yeah. 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 I heard the Beach
1: Boys Sunday night mm-hmm. in my backyard. Yeah. <laughs> they sounded yeah, good. can't
0: beat that. Besides, they've made the, the uh, top of the, the building back to its original blue again. So.
1: I saw that they were working on the yeah. building, yeah.
0: yeah. Well, you know, when did they build that? 60-something. The six, in the 60s, Yeah. 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 Needs a little love care, you know, care and update. Yeah. Um, so, Marinites, right? In oh, all the goodness. But of so that. diverse. I, yeah. I mean,
1: uh, despite the stereotype of white, rich, it's very diverse. My block is so diverse. And uh, yeah. Yeah, Marin's much more down to earth than people think it is. Cool.
0: Cool. It's very interesting. I'm going to use a quote from you at the end of this, and you'll be surprised what I picked but it ties right into what you said about your neighbors and what you'd like here. You are listening to Word-by-Word Conversation with Writers on North Bay Public Media, KRCB-FM. Today's guests are a pair of Marin County writers with books on decidedly different topics. As we heard, Bonnie Monty's Sleeping Lady is a modern, cozy mystery novel set in the shadow of Mount Tamalpais with characters we immediately identify with. And Francine Falk Allen's Not a Poster Child which, as she writes, is a memoir of life as a handicapped person trying to be a normie, is also the memoir of a person you really want to know. The studio engineer for today's broadcast is our station manager, Sean Knight. Our radio coordinator is Wendy Nicholson. Our podcast archivist, Mark Prell. And I am your host, Gil Manser. We invite you to join us for the next word-by-word broadcast from 4 to 5, Sunday, August 12th, when our guest will be Edgar Cantero with his This body's not big enough for both of us, the comedic noir novel about two private eyes, one a man and one a woman, who share the same androgynous body. In closing, here's a reflection from Francine Falk Allen's memoir, Not a Poster Child, about her life might have been if she did not have a polio-induced disability. Can I have you read this?
2: Oh, sure. Okay. For starters... Aside from the good things I missed out on, I might have chosen a more superficial life, a life that did not include the richness of experience I now sought out as a result of being physically odd. The things I loved, art, music, mysticism, liberal politics, might not have pulled on me. I might not have ended up hanging out with the people I had recently chosen as my friends, who accepted a broader spectrum of that might not have been acceptable to me when I was a middle American kid.